0: More thing here. Alright, let's get this shit populating. ladies and gentlemen to episode 30 of the tall dark and ratchet podcast i'm your host marcel williams and before we get things popping over here we got to do it right Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very special Monday episode because I'm joined today by good friend and uh, fellow Winnipegger, Mr. Peter Takis. What's going on, man? It's a long time coming. It's been a long time coming indeed. Now, you've just dropped a brand new single entitled From the Start. So, you know, before we even jump into this, I know I, I you get annoyed with this um, on a regular basis, people kind of butchering your last name, Takis. So I just got to, you know, we got to kick things off right here.
1: Red and I get you catch me. Now you were in that music video, weren't you? Now, look, I, I've been doing a run of podcasts and radio call-ins all week, just talking about the new record. And there's this one dude who's like, uh, can you tell me how to pronounce your last name? And I was like, Takis. And he's like, okay, so... So Takis and then like on air, he's like, all right, I got Tacky here. I have ta- <laughs> Tacky in the studio, his new record. So, I mean, it's become it, it's kind of haunted me, but I'm numb to it now. So that's the thing, like in America, I can understand it's a very popular, uh, you know, snack of choice is these Tacky's
0: chips. But we all know you as Tackis and uh, we're going to take things from the start. So a lot of people might not understand the correlation between you and I and how far our lineage actually dates back to. But I remember a very, very young and ambitious Peter Takis who was uh, attempting to start up a clothing line. So let's take it back to 2011, kind of when we met in Europe, a little bit more of your origin story that people might not know about.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh, that's crazy. I haven't been asked this in a really long time. I mean, like 10 years ago, I was a kid in high school, 15 years old, working at Sportcheck, cleaning the floors, doing like a paper route, refereeing, whatever, right? And I was just trying to figure out what I, what I cared about, what I loved. And still to this day, I mean, from the age of 14, 15 to 25 today, the only thing I've been obsessed with is music and the culture around music. And at the time, I mean, I'm 15, I'm on YouTube and YouTube was like super exciting at the time or LimeWire and I'm seeing like early Kid Cudi mixtapes. Or Kanye West, 808s and Heartbreaks. I'm listening to this. I'm like, this is so fresh. Like, look at how they dress. Look at this sound. And since I was in high school, I just wanted to be a part of that in some small way. And at my 15-year-old brain went to maybe if I design clothes, rappers might wear them and be my friend. Or maybe if I design some like cool fashion, I could be a part of this in like a really small way. So it, it just really started. I was obsessed with music and my in was designing t-shirts. So my question to you though, is
0: that if I'm a 14, 15 year old, of course you might have that aspiration where you're like, listen, I really want this clothing line. I know if I can get these, these hot artists that I am a huge fan of to rock my stuff that, you know, of course that's a dream, but how did you attempt to make that a reality at such a young age? Cause you don't have, you know, the net worth to be able to just throw some funding into, um, you know, launching a, a brand. So, so what, got you to that point where you were able to actually make some clothing that you could have your your idols wear
1: yeah i mean there's a mixture of like creative hustle just like being super creative to fund something at a low level and obviously there was a lot of luck um when i'm i was 15 years old i think like the first iphone came to i've said this story like years ago i haven't mentioned in a while but the first like iphone was coming to winnipeg or canada right and I had a friend who had an older brother that worked at Best Buy, the Mm. Best Buy on Regent in Winnipeg for those who know. And (sighs) I got like an insight where they said there was only gonna be one iPhone. And I knew there was gonna be a frenzy, there was gonna be a lineup. So like I bust down at like 5 p.m. the day before it came out, I put a lawn chair down and I waited in line hoping someone might buy my spot. And I literally like like sold my spot in line for an iPhone so I can make a run of t-shirts. I would like w- be working a job after work or on the, or after school and on the weekends, trying to buy a couple of t-shirts and the first ones didn't work out. The second ones didn't really work out, but eventually on like the third, the fourth run people kind of started caring. And then that's when luck came in when I'm like 16 and somehow J Cole's wearing my stuff or like I'm 17 and DMX is posting the, the, the t-shirt that I designed. So, I mean, at the start it was just a kid, banging his head against the wall, trying to do anything just to figure it out. But then obviously there was a lot of luck involved and, and some beautiful moments that turned that into a real thing for a high school kid.
0: Right. Yeah. That's the thing that's, um, that I saw very, very early on is that there's Something to be said about the skill set of discipline, because to be that young and ambitious, a lot of kids maybe they run into a, a sum of money earlier on, and they're like, "Oh, nice!" Now I'm going to go flex and just buy myself a pair of Jordans or a snapback, and then they go and flex anywhere they they on the schoolyard just to you know you know whatever. But you actually took that funding. You're like, I'm going to invest this in myself to try to give myself. More opportunities, and when we cross paths, I was working at Streets One Hundred Four Point Seven, which was uh, an independent hip hop station. Legendary at the time. for the very scene. legendary. So let's know <laughs> some some horns for Streets for those who remember. Um, but you were maybe fifteen years old, and I remember we had a meeting where I was like, well, "Why am I meeting with this kid?" It was me, the the CEO, and and the program director, and then you come in and you had merch. Um, package it up, and obviously things haven't changed because you still, you know, w- regardless of what press run you're on, you're always making sure that you leave that person with something in their hands. And from that moment, I was like, "There's something different about this kid. Like he's not just some some kid who just wants to, you know, uh, flex in front of friends." There's a very long term mindset with what it was that you were doing. So when you came in and you said, "Listen, I I really want to be on air." you know, of course, most kids, they say they want to be on air, but you took it a step further where you actually had an entire demo prepared. You were humble enough to say, listen, I know, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, wet behind the ears, but I'll take whatever slot you can give me. If it's at 3am and nobody's listening, I'll jump on there. So why were you so
1: dedicated to wanting to get that opportunity so early on? Well, first of all, like before I even get into that, I'm just so happy that we're having these conversations because I've been on you know, a press run for a while. And with the last record, and it's always about what I'm doing right now, or some of the accomplishments since I was, I don't know, 22, 23, once I moved, it's kind of crazy, even just, just looking back on where it all started. But I mean, like I said, since I was 15 years old, the first thing that I've loved and that love has never faded, not a single day is music. And for me, it started with fashion and that slowly faded. But when I realized like, damn, like, radio is music radio is a real job maybe i could be involved in that in some way and maybe i could curate what music gets played on the radio so i was just obsessed with anything that let me into the door because everything looks so bright and excited but i mean i fought to i was essentially people don't know this i was like your intern for a year when i was like 17 years old on yeah now, here's the
0: thing <laughs> i feel like this story has kind of uh morphed over the years where you know i remember it as me being like, okay, listen, Peter, um, I'm gonna take the risk of having you come on air during my slot, and we're gonna split the air time because I know you're not being compensated, but at the same time, I saw the value in that you had already developed this huge network of a younger audience that I was gonna be able to, you know, have them grow up with this radio show. However, this story <laughs> has somehow changed where now you're my little bitch boy who's out here, like, yo,
1: go get me a coffee. <laughs> i mean like on on days when um we're friends i'll tell that story about how you opened the door for me as an intern gave me the opportunity when i'm not necessarily on the best terms with you sometimes i i picture in my head looking back that you were like diddy yelling at me and like throwing throwing tim hortons at the floor so it, it depends on the vibe really but for the most part that was an incredible experience man i'm 17 years old i don't know what the fuck i'm doing and i get an insight to what radio is, whether that's radio programming, whether that's the behind the scenes of radio selling ads in the business of radio, or more excitingly for me, and still to this day, it was about music programming. That was all I was excited about. And this is bringing back like a crazy memory where obviously doing the shows was fun. Being on a radio station at a young age, it was cool. My greatest memories was we used to be in some little bootleg studio. Remember like next to the real studio, we had a bootleg studio and I'd come in and you would always be like our routine every morning is we go on hot new hip hop. We go on this blog, we go on this blog, we go on dat piff and we're going to try to find fresh records that are blowing up on the internet. And we're going to go try to convince the, 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 the big office to let us play this on our show tonight. And my most exciting moment was trying to find records and see if we could convince them or let us play them on our show. And I think like, man, I'm even specifically thinking of Stay Scheming, oh, for sure. Um Shock <clears throat> Callers, French Montana. And I remember when you were fighting the music director, yo, this is big online. Trust me, it'll convert. And every small victory we got, as much as we had a, a couple hour show, my victory was did the song that we found three days ago end up on this program?
0: Well, and that's the thing that's interesting is that in that time, like I'm over here just trying to I I love music enough that I wanted to hear the songs that I enjoyed being played on air. But you could see that even from a very young age, 15, 16 years old, you're looking more at the mechanics and the operation side of things because I ended up working four jobs at Streets, which I've mentioned before, where I initially went on as a radio personality. Then I ended up um, the assistant music director, which is where I got the opportunity to now select the music that was getting played. But then in doing the promotions direction and, and the account executive, you were there by my side all the time because even though our show would maybe start in the evening from let's say six o'clock until 11 p.m. or whatever the case was, we were there from the very beginning in the morning. Of and you used to take your mother's car that had a street sticker that I'm sure she was upset about <laughs> on the window and drive all the way from Transcona to Inkster. And if you're not familiar with the geography of Winnipeg, That's a push. it's a bit That's of a, a mission. <laughs> so you would drive there on your own accord every single day from the morning. You would see me there just, you know, in, inputting a bunch of random stuff for the account executive things. And then you'd see me setting up events for promotions. And you were there in the meeting side by side. Even though you weren't being compensated for your time, you felt that. that that worth was a lot more valuable than getting that immediate check right then and there. So um, obviously, you know, with streets came some other opportunities for us as well, where we eventually got to host. Now, I remember the day that you bought your first controller and I had that video and I was hoping that I would find it and play it here. But I unfortunately, I lost it. But you were just so, like, you could tell that this is oh, OK. This guy really wants to be in music because you were like looking over that as if it was a kid who got, you know, a a Ninja Turtle action figure at Christmas or whatever. Um, so what was that moment for you where you're finally able to, all the pieces finally connected and all the dots aligned where you were like, listen, now I have this thing that's going to take me to that
1: next level. Well, you know, going back to those small victories of finding a cool song and getting it to be played on the radio, that was a victory. And I started to like piece into my head. I was like, We're fighting all week for one of our favorite songs to be played on radio. What if I could play all my favorite songs out live at the club? What if instead of fighting for this one record, for this one radio station, I could curate a two-hour set and it is just me? No one's telling me what I have to play. No one's telling me where a commercial needs to go. No one's telling me what ad sponsor I got to support. It's just I'm curating a music playlist. And I'm curating a vibe. So since I was, yeah, 17, I was like, yo, I think DJing is that next step for me. And obviously more than just DJing, the next step from that is I got to make my own songs. You start off saying, I want one song on the radio that we picked. Then it's, I want to play other people's songs on my terms. Then it's, I want to start playing my own music in these sets. I want my set to be hit records that I made. So it was all progression. I mean, it's, it's fun looking back on the wins and losses like growing up, but all of it was foundational because of my like obsession with music. I mean, we know this, there's not many things that you're gonna love for 10 years. There's been things I'm excited about for a year. There's great relationships I've had for two years. But the only thing, 10 years later, I wake up, I'm just as excited about the music I'm making right now as I was when we're fighting for some mixtape cut off Dat Piff to be played at our 9 p.m. show on streets. So um, yeah, DJing was just a part of that progression. And uh, we also
0: had a segment on there called Freestyle Friday. So we're gonna, (laughs) you know, we're gonna have you drop some bars right now and I'm just playing with you.
1: (laughs) Could you imagine? The thing is, I used to participate in that. Of course. Like I was rapping. You had a ghostwriter. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I I had someone help support uh, write my bars, but I also, I executed those bars even to the, the highest standard. You were the
0: original, you had an original Quentin Miller. Yeah, I had Quentin Miller. No, but okay. So going back to the fact that, you know, that you transition into being able to get these gigs. Now, as much as at that time, I mean, we were both relatively young. Like I'm seven years older than you, so I'm a seasoned old man. But Being able to go and host these shows at these obscure clubs, but I remember there was something a little bit special about you going to the Oak because it was in your pocket of the city. So it was in Transcona and I hadn't been familiar with that area at all, but for you going in there, you were literally, I remember we had at one point, there was a a booth, a little section that we had and it had Big Daddy (laughs) Takis in that section because you were really <laughs> revered in that community. So how did it feel being that you were fresh 18, only just now legal enough to go into these venues and you're over here DJing your set and all these friends of yours
1: from your high school and so on and so forth, they're like, oh my
0: God, Takis is on stage. Look. Well, first of
1: all, that's like, no one's brought the Oak to me in about five years. That's I'm a real, classic that's time. funny that you actually wrote down a note about the Oak, I could see. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's always cool, but looking back, it's funny that you say that, because. The truth is, like, I played some fucking incredible shows. I, I've gotten to play main stage at EDC in Mexico. I've played shows in China. I played countless shows in Las Vegas, headlined in New York. And it's it's funny, but, like, those shows of The Oak were some of the best moments of my life. Like, playing for a 100 friends that I went to high school with. And, like, my older sister pulls up and she's seen the set. Um, those memories are are even just feelings that I try to capture today I try to instead of getting jaded about certain moments I try to remember hey remember when like the oak was the fucking super bowl it literally felt like I was performing at the halftime show in the super bowl in a small club in in transcona but those are some of the best memories that I've ever had and I still every single day kind of fight to have those feelings again
0: yeah, and I can imagine how, like you said, you're you're performing in front of friends. So when it when you're striving for something, when when the goal is to become this big DJ, and then it actually happens, it just now it's a job. But mm-hmm. when you're still trying to prove yourself, when you're still at that point where you know you're you're flexing in front of your friends and you're wearing fake jewelry, which <laughs> you know I won't throw you under the bus about all these fake ropes that we used to rock at the uh, at the oak. But the reality is, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to fake it to you make it. Um, but you've, like you mentioned, have now had the opportunity to, to perform at these, these big festivals. Do you remember maybe like the, the first big show that you were booked for and, and that initial feeling and, and, the rush that you got and how that maybe was, you could find the correlation between that moment at the Oak
1: versus uh, an EDC or a marquee or. Yeah. I mean, the, the first real big show that I had booked was what, 2016. New Year's Eve Marquee nightclub and the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas. I had to get a fucking passport because like that was one of my first like real flights to the US. That obviously there was a lot of nerves. There was a lot of excitement. Um, that was a real moment. But to be honest, I don't think like the real moment came until down the road because those early shows, I always felt like, hey, this is happening really fast. Maybe I don't necessarily like deserve to be on this stage. So it was always just nerve wracking. I'd do the show and it'd almost be like a relief. Once I felt like my set was right there, that I deserved to be on those stages, then it was exciting again. That, then I was ready to, to put on a great show. But it took several US shows, several big headlining shows where it was just like, do the set, don't fuck up and okay, as long as nothing bad happened, we're good. It took 10, 20 of those before I could go on stage confidently and say, oh, I'm just going to have fucking fun today. I'm going to play the best records. I'm going to put on the best show. But um, you really have to start. Those big shows were very nerve wracking still.
0: For sure. And I mean, speaking of nerve wracking, um, some people will have their whispers about where you've been in the last couple of years, <laughs> but um, you actually decided, um, and this is another thing too, that I feel like I, I, I want to highlight on, on today's episode is that one thing about you is that you're younger than I am, yet I seem that I always go to you as if you're this Yoda type figure to me, because like I mentioned, from a very young age, you've always had this different train of thought in in but that you're thinking long-term and that you also have this incredible discipline about you where you think more, okay, it's, it's about the short-term sacrifice right now for the long-term gain. And you just put out a statement um, or, or more of an article for essentially talking about how you switched off social media, which was a big reason as to why I cut out my social media in 2019 as well, because I noticed that you had been doing that um, and we had been communicating throughout that time. Um, and we'll talk about how you know we, we reconnected and how that that happened. But um, what was kind of the, the mind state of not only am I going to cut out social media for two years, but I'm going to write this so that hopefully other people
1: can also see the value in doing something like that? Yeah. I mean, I've always had this, this kind of like I don't know who told me this. I'm sure it's a very famous quote, but this idea, like you have a season where you plant your seeds and then you have a season where you, you get the harvest. And I've always looked at that where I have a season where it's time for me to take a step back, plant these seeds, work on something great, work on something meaningful. And then there's the time to be on these promo runs, to be calling into every radio station that'll have me to be all over Instagram. Like, I've been for the past few months, I just really was able to separate the two, I think. And also like, to be honest, now that we're looking back on so many, we, we, we've been talking about like 10 years ago, that's so crazy. But I've been, like you said, like I've been kind of in the spotlight in a certain sense since I was fucking 15 years old. That's kind of crazy. And once I'm, you know, 21, I sign my first record deal and I'm doing a show every weekend and I'm flying every weekend and I'm meeting the people that I looked up to my whole life. I was moving so fucking fast. I didn't have any time to slow down and ask myself, "Yo, am I going the right fucking direction?" Like I didn't slow down to rest. I slowed down to make sure I've been speeding 100 miles an hour since I was 15 years old, do I have the right people around me? Is this the type of artist I want to be? Is this the type of person I want to be? And once I slowed down, I said, you know, it's time to take a pause. Time to look at the people around me. It's time to maybe take a break from social media because that's very, very tempting. And it's, it's kind of funny, like. A lot of people, like, it was very dramatic. Two years sounds, cr- I, does two years sound crazy? In this climate where people are so But is it crazy? I understand. Like, I mean, it, I don't want to use crazy. the word
0: crazy, but yeah, it is a little bit wild that you would take two years off, especially that you are in an industry where it social It seems media- wild that
1: you think it's wild.
0: Of course. Well, and okay, so here's the thing. I'm not speaking on behalf of myself saying that, yeah, I think it's wild because I did it myself. But what I'm saying is, is that for somebody who's in an industry where social media is essentially how you disseminate all of your information and content out to the universe, I could see how it could be perceived from the outside looking in like, oh, something negative must have happened. But you you bring up a good point in that you're essentially a child star for Winnipeg which is something that I never really kind of factored God, no in. No one has ever said luckily, that. Luckily, you know, you didn't go the uh, Macaulay Culkin route <laughs> where, you know, you were this Home Alone star and then all of a sudden had a meltdown or whatever. But like, that's something that there is something to be said about how having that much attention so early on, how that, you know, you're in the spotlight, every move that you do. Because I remember, um, you know, my first date, I went to a movie theater and, you know, no, there was no eyes on me, but I remember you, bringing a girl over to, um, to a Wiz Khalifa concert for, for Halloween. And that's a very high profile thing where people are taking pictures of you. People want your autograph and stuff like that. And you're 18 and you know, people are, are jumping down your throat. So I understand why you would want to have a disconnect, but from the outside looking in, I could also see how some people would be like, Oh, this is a
1: little wild. Yeah. I mean, bro, the average 16 year old kid can fuck up and it's in private and you're 18, you fuck up. It's in private you know, I had businesses that were, you know, the media had to cover them when they closed down. I had, you know, any tweet that was sideways, I'd have a hundred replies of people down my throat. And that's something that, i made the decision at 15 to kind of jump into the, the the chaos and in the circus a bit and that was my responsibility i didn't know at the time that i feel like it was, a, it was a poor decision in some respects but then again i have 10 years of experience i'm 25 and i understand this music biz because of a lot of that pain and now i can be a lot more mature with these social profiles but um yeah that was a huge part of it man i was way too young to have a thousand people comment on my art or a thousand people comment on my perspective on anything. I'm 25. I barely know who I am today. Imagine when I'm 15 fucking years old. Um, but in terms of like writing this article and having this conversation with you and the reason I've been saying yes to a lot of long form podcasts for the first time in ever is because I am never going to explain myself in 280 characters on Twitter. I am never going to explain myself on an Instagram story as 15 seconds If you really care, I'm gonna write a long form, two thousand word article about my thoughts on social media, or I'm gonna sit down with you for over an hour and say, "Hey, this is this is the truth of why I stepped away." And I know two years sounds like a lot, but I made the decision, "Hey, I'm gonna go thirty days off social media, see what happens." Nothing changed. It was all good. I I felt like my anxiety was a lot lower. I felt like I had a new perspective for some of the people around me. I had new creative ideas. Two months after that. I made a song called Wait For Me with the biggest artist of my entire career. Three months after, I made another record with one of my idols. And I'm sitting back being like, wait, I'm, I'm four months into this. I'm making the best music of my life. I'm feeling the calmest I've ever felt. I'm going to make this whole album offline and see what happens. And I mean, if I would have came back two years later without big records (laughs) and without records that mattered. Yeah, of course that would look a little wild, but if you're going to come back two years later and, you know, sign the biggest deal in my life and have the biggest artists, the artists I grew up idolizing all over my album. um, Yeah. I mean, Hey, work was being done, but I, I, I kind of like, I don't, I don't mean to go too hard on this, but it seems crazy to me for some kid that's trying to have like a startup or they're trying to start a business or they're trying to write a book, or they're trying to make music like I did. Yeah, it's okay to go away for a year and make a great piece of art. The fact that it's crazy to leave for a year to make your best work ever, to have that, you're just putting seeds in, you're just putting seeds in every single day. It's, it seems wild to me that so few people could understand why it's time to step back to make the best work of your life.
0: Well, again, and, and hearing you say it, and, and it's I'm glad that you brought up the fact that you can't really elaborate in an 140 character or 280 character tweet to try to express something as profound as that. Because again, from the outside looking in, people are looking for those clickbaity moments and those things, and they want to make the conspiracy because their brains are wired to find the juicier story or the scarier outcome or whatever it is. So now obviously you're back on social media. So what do you find is your relationship with social media now. And what do you, how do you approach the perception of people? Because again, and I brought this up to you before, when I look at your Instagram page, I see somebody who's, you know, um very confident in themselves. But at the same time, I'm like, where the hell is this nigga smile? Like, wh- why is this guy not smiling? Because I know this guy to be, you know, a very, you know, a, a, a bubbly personality and there being a lot of levels and depth to who you are as an individual. But I feel like you're only really presenting that one
1: Um, aspect of yourself that was i believe that was a conscious decision i decided that social media i'm going to use it and it's not going to use me i'm never going to be reactive i'm never going to be impulsive on these platforms and it's funny you talk about like instagram um i've decided that my music and what I say in my music is how people are going to get to know me. And my aesthetic or my social media presence is an extension of my music. And my music is very serious. I take my album and my, my mission as an artist very seriously. My music is fairly dark. It is reflecting on relatively like dark and serious topics, whether it's heartbreak, whether it's um, confusion or nostalgia or pain. Um, you know, my social, I look at it as a reflection of my music. Um, It's not necessarily a reflection on my personality. And I'm also honest enough to know, guess what? Some fans want someone that's going to post a hundred stories a day. Mm -hmm. Some fans want the memes and I love memes and I've sent you memes (laughs) and I, I I send memes all day and I love it. But the people that really know me, you know, my personality, I'm going to sit here, talk to you for an hour. Hopefully these people feel they know my personality, but the reality is I'm not going to social media to show you that, you know, what I'm doing behind the scenes or that I'm a fun guy. Like why? It's like, I'm literally putting my heart and soul into my music. If you see my Instagram, that's a reflection of the vibe that I put into my music. And you know, it's a tough decision. I know I'm going to lose fans. I know the algorithms are going to hate me, but the reality is I just, I'm going to keep my private life and my personality and my real connections of 10 years or goody grace, 10 years, you 10 years, all these people I've known for 10 years I've stayed in contact with, you guys are going to really know me. And, and, and that's okay. I don't need necessarily a random fan across the world to feel like they know every part of my day. Hopefully they feel it in the music and the music really helps them. But, um, I've just made the decision that, that I'm not, I'm not going to be that open on socials
0: well as long as you keep sending me the fire memes because a lot of my (laughs) ratchets of the weeks and the whose mans is this they come from this guy over here Um, But with that being said, now, another thing, too, that comes with removing yourself from, you know, the online sphere, if you will, is your relationship with the opposite sex. So I find that with myself, I've been very candid, especially lately, talking about my relationship with online dating. And I find that I spend a lot of time really analyzing my profiles and making sure that I'm presenting a a very um, specific facet of my life or, um, just the the way that I want myself to look when you are in Los Angeles and you are, um, you know, you you're a man, you got a libido, you got urges. How is it that you find that the online (laughs) dating, um, has affected you
1: when you've removed yourself from social media? I mean, you know, I've, I focus on having a really important and fulfilling private life first and, uh, public career second. And I've had, you know, a great relationship in LA with a, a, a great person. And I kept that offline. She kept it offline. And that was just a part of what we decided to do. And like, I'll get into this This is the first time someone asked me a dating question ever. Um, but when we had private victories, when I signed like my deal, or when a big record got cleared or a huge accomplishment came in, everything felt so much better to go with the small group around me or her and just have like a private victory versus projecting it all on socials. But in terms of like, um, online dating, to be honest with you, I don't have never since a young age felt comfortable sliding in with a cold DM, uh, going on a a Tinder type, like and just having a conversation with someone that I've never met. I have no No, no, no. no. no I don't wanna I don't wanna no, spill the no, beans wait, on who let, it was that you were
0: dating and you know and stuff like that, yeah. because of course we wanna keep things private. This ain't TMZ people. So if you're looking for an exclusive like that, unfortunately we're not gonna spill the beans, but I noticed one thing, though, when you were posting, you know, you had these questions that were coming in on Instagram and people were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, tell me about this. Tell me about that. One thing I noticed when somebody asked you the question about which application you use the most. Now, your answer, your response to that was Headspace, which I came here for softball
1: questions. That's fine.
0: But <laughs> w- when I saw that, you you know, you opened up the Headspace, there was an application that I don't know if the average person would be able to recognize. But I saw that little logo in the bottom right of your screen. And that app is called raya now that is the celebrity tinder essentially so what kind of um experiences or what what can you tell me about this app because obviously us as you know a little layman folk we don't really have access we're not privy to such applications i would like to but i'm curious to see like what what kind of stuff do you see on raya
1: well i gotta first explain how i found raya Mm. because it's literally because of you (laughs) whoa whoa Um, whoa 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 all right um I think it would have been... Would it be November when we linked in LA?
0: Oh, yeah. So let me give some some precursor to this over here. So I went out to uh, Los Angeles in it was like November, December to go see um, my my friend Aisha Alpha. She was recording her stand up special. And while I was out there, you know, I knew a couple of people had you know relocated to Los Angeles and I reached out and we connected. And by the way, I've listened. You know, we're not going to get too much into it right now. I've listened to uh, I, I think a majority of the album. It's probably changed since then and evolved a little bit more. Um, since then. So if you guys think, you know, what you've heard so far is, you know, the most that's going to come out of this guy, he's got some, he's got some slappers. He's got some artists that you wouldn't expect on there. And uh, I might even be on there. Really, nigga? No, I'm just playing. But um, so yeah, so we reconnected in uh, Los Angeles, but I don't really understand the correlation of, so, of how
1: Raya came into this. So I told you to come back to the place, the house I was renting, and I wanted to play you the album because I was very proud, you know, knowing where we came from, knowing that a lot of the artists you and I would fight to get on the radio from those Dat Piff's were on my album. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play you the project and I, I'll never forget. And I, I, you're probably gonna say this is an inaccurate rendition of that <laughs> night. But I remember playing the album, being so proud, you know, being like, yo, I used to intern for this guy. So, you know, he's looking at like, he's Grammy nominated artists on the album. And like one of the first things you said after I played the album was, yo, see so you on that app, Raya? <laughs> are you oh, on that yeah. app um raya and i looked at you and i was like what the fuck is that come on <laughs> and i'm like i'm expecting some like inspirational speech about how like proud you are of hearing the album and you went straight to am i on um, a, a dating app and i asked you what it is you explained it was some form of like app where which has a application process <laughs> allegedly um and the thing is i'm going to be perfectly honest with you First time I ever heard about it, and I thought you were tripping. I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I've never heard of this app. I have friends all over Hollywood. No one's ever brought this app up. Flash forward a month later, I forget about it. I'm in the studio with a, a rapper from Atlanta. Amazing rapper from Atlanta, and we have a really strong record together. And I kid you not, pulls out his phone, and he's like, damn, did I activate my Raya? And I was like, it literally hit me where I was like, okay, now I've heard it twice in about a month and this guy's popping. So like maybe I was like, yo, what is it? Gave me the breakdown. I guess it's like a, a exclusive dating app. So I go on the app store and I, I like, fill, you fill out this whole pamphlet. It's like, what's your Instagram All Yeah, your- tell me a little bit more about <laughs> no. this streaming process.
0: you know, in case, you know, I get a little bit of clout, is there a buddy pass or no. a referral system? What's so, good? So
1: like you have to show them your Instagram and they have a panel. And I guess they look at some like the press you've had or some of your accomplishments and also how many Raya members are followers of yours on Instagram and who follows who. And then there's one last step as the final step. And this is a step that tripped me out because keep in mind, you brought it up and one other person brought it up. And I'm like, no one's on this. No one can be on. This is all just something for like TMZ to talk about. For sure. And there's a part where it's like, let Raya check your iphone contacts whoa 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 so the app scans what contacts you have that are also Raya users
0: damn so that's kind
1: of intrusive it's super intrusive but it it needs to get like that information like how many friends yours are already members and then it asks you like press which one you want to refer you Mm. and i'm so before i let the app do it i kid you not i was like i'm gonna have one mutual the guy who just talked about it right all my friends are on it. Like every artist that I've worked with, (laughs) artist managers are on it. And that kind of like, um, surprised me actually. I thought it was funny because you, you, a lot of your podcasts, you joke about like online dating, you talk about it seriously as well. For whatever reason, people think they're fucking cool and no one wants to talk about it. That was my biggest takeaway. See, that's the thing that I find most interesting is that with something like that's so,
0: you know, there's a huge screening process involved for it and, and whatever. And um, you did tell me behind the scenes also that it's iOS only. So even if I wanted to get on there, unfortunately, I uh, I don't have the the capabilities with my device to even get on to, to Raya. But um, that's my excuse and I'm riding with it. It's not because I don't have any clout. It's because uh, I, I'm Android. <laughs> I'm so happy it's iPhone only though, that's so comical. But yeah, I find that that's very intrusive because if you're somebody who's a celebrity, I feel like the reason why you'd wanna go on to Raya is because you don't want people to know that you're on Tinder or Bumble or Hinge or whatever. Um, So for there to be this, um, whatever you wanna call it, um, a screening process that shows you and reveals all of your mutual friends that are currently on there, I find like that kind of almost de- defeats the purpose. Um, but you gotta tell me just because again, I'm not that guy who's privy to such information. I don't I don't get to see who's on there, of course, aside from what I do in my Googles, but you know, you don't have to divulge some of the names, but like, no. what kind of, what are we dealing with on there? Like, are, is there a lot of chicks and have you
1: seen it the difference in um, being that in LA and in Toronto, like what kind of- um, Yeah, I mean, there, there was, uh, just about everyone i could imagine in in la that was using it um now that i've moved to toronto it's i haven't seen very many people it's also something i don't use very often like i had one date from it in my entire um career with that app but i you know to be honest i know it's like mad funny and it's it's kind of like a silly like stupid app but the reality was i've never been comfortable um just meeting someone cold and feeling like they kind of understand what I do or understand some of the things I've been through to get to this point. And I, I feel like for the, the date I was on or the connection I made on that app, um, that person was 10 times more bigger than I, I have ever been. That person was 10 times more famous in every capacity and 10 times more talented. And right away, we skipped hours of conversations about what we do, how we got here. It was just like, hey, we're here. Now let's let's see if we actually know each other. And I uh, I mean it sounds like a silly app, but for me personally, I, I really have a hard time kind of explaining what I do, finding people that understand my schedule, understand that this is a 247-365 schedule. If a manager calls me at 2 a.m. I answer if there's something that I have to do at midnight it is what it is. If I have a release week like this, where I've been doing nonstop interviews, I just, my phone's off. I don't want to get distracted. So for the most part, uh, it was it was an important thing for me to meet people that really kind of understand um, the lifestyle that I've been living, which is, and it's not like, it's not cool and glamorous. It's just like, hey, we both understand that there's a lot of pressure into this. We're not going to talk about the nonsense. We're just gonna see if we're like on the same level as a person. We're gonna leave that out of it. As much as the whole app is about that, you find people so you don't have to talk about that. See, that's that's why they won't let guys like me <laughs> on there because the reality
0: is you're out there just trying to find somebody who's essentially maybe at the same playing
1: field or just at least understands where I you're just, coming from. I just want to find someone that understands where we don't have to have the conversation about the 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 nonsense, where it's just like, oh, tell me about you, not about your career. See, I'm looking for a sugar mommy. (laughs) I'm
0: trying to find Riri. I'm trying to get Riri to come sponsor me and try to, you know, put me in one of those Fenty, uh, you know, fashion shows. That's what I'm looking for Um, now. okay, let's let's steer the conversation away from your love life and back into the music over here now. I know this is something that you've either, one, are tired of talking about, and I'm not going to go into it in terms of the clickbait avenue of it, but I feel like it's important because it brings up a a bigger subject. So now um, you had a a very controversial initial record in the sense that Tory Lanez has been going through all of this crazy, scandalous stuff with with Meg The Stallion, but the reason I bring it up is not to obviously drill you about like, oh, what is your stance on this? Because I know you as as an individual. I know your character. I know the the things you stand for. So I want to bring this up just to help illustrate the process that most people aren't privy to. Because when you see an artist put out a, a big record like that, you might think to yourself, oh, they were just in the studio together two weeks ago. But I want to know a little bit more as to the backstory as to, one, how this record came about and exactly how long of a timeline this actually was. Because this wasn't an overnight record that was just
1: put out to the universe for everyone to say, hey, look, um, Tack has just left the studio with Tory Lanez. Here's a record with him and Goody Grace. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought some was really funny. I had a few like messages when the song came out with um, people saying, glad to see you're back in the studio making music um, when I haven't left the studio in two years. Right. Um, But I don't want to get too like boring in the music biz aspect of it. But the truth of the matter is, man, like I made that song a year and a half ago. I made my whole album was done a year ago. Um, But when you're working with major artists, with major labels, with Everyone's got management team. Everyone's got agents. Everyone has their own lawyers. They have their own ideas for the record and their own timing and their own schedules. Um, It's really just about timing. And the only thing I had control over was trying to make really good songs with really big artists and really talented artists. And the rest is up to the team that I trust to try to make the timing make the most sense. I mean, we were supposed to put out the record top of March, I think. And with COVID, we said, Hey, well, we're not going to be able to do a radio tour. We're not going to be able to do live shows. Let's push it back a little bit. COVID didn't go away. We put it out in July. That's just one small delay in that. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, like for me, when I took a step back, I only was going to come back. I was only going to be back if I felt like I had something incredible to bring. And that's not a single. I mean, that's a 10 song album. Um, And I made a short list of the people i wanted on that album and for many reasons whether it was they were incredible raw talents or whether it was i opened for them when i was 18 years old and i vitalized idolized these people or i just wanted a, a vibe of this style um and right at the top of that list just artistically was goody grace and Tori lanes and it, that was on top of my list so i said how can i accomplish that the album on the way it's called welcome home and it's really like my story of growing up so of course goody grace had to be on that album like him and i have known each other for as long as i've known you and we've been making music for 10 years together and he's had an incredible part of his career so why wouldn't the first song out on welcome home be with someone from manitoba and um you know i just gave him a call i told him i said you look this is the story this is the album it's called welcome home it's about our hometown what would you and i write about And to be honest, like the song wait for me is literally about Goody. When he was like, I think 19 moved to LA when I was 21, I moved to Toronto and we've never lived in Winnipeg since. And there's this bizarre, there's a bizarre situation and you're in Toronto. Now you're from Winnipeg. I would ask if you felt this, you move to make a name for yourself. You move to a bigger market. You move to try to make your city proud. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're worried people fucking forgot about you. Absolutely. So, whether it's a girl being like, damn, she has a boyfriend, she moved on, or friends or family seeing their lives move on because I'm, my ego's going 100 miles an hour. I'm trying to make this album, I'm trying to make this project. That was Goody and I having a conversation about how far we've come. But damn, people's lives kept going nobody was going to wait for us. And that's an irrational, even expectation. But that pain of so many people we care about moving on um, past relationships, girls moving on, having new relationships. And that was the, the base of weight for me. And just like musically on like a nerdy music note uh, for me, if a song quickly comes together, like a first demo, if it comes together effortlessly, you have something. If you're forcing it and it takes 10 sessions to make something that sounds great, you're probably in trouble. And I kid you not, it, it took one session and we had demo one with Goody Grace away from me. And um, also which what it, what excited me was, damn, I got like this like pop, punk, melancholy, acoustic singer on a fucking dance record with like a guitar drop, this is fresh. How can I make this even weirder? And my first thought is like, what if we get someone like Tori on it? And look, I'll be honest with you as well. And this is not a, you know, this is just the truth. And a lot of artists probably might be skeptical of this or think there was other things that happened behind the scenes. When you're dealing with Tori at the time, I had no management. I had my Gmail. I had no record label. I was independent. No album budget. No agents. I was dropped by my agents. All I had was a hard record. All I had was a song called wait for me with goodie grace that's it and once i started sending it around i had some relationships from way back when with some people in his team and some family members of his and guess what that song was strong enough to get me a studio session there was no there was no executive there was no management making calls it was a really strong record that the people around him said hey i'm going to bring these guys together I think this could be a really big pop record. This could be a big radio record for him. This could be a genre crossing over record. And then, you know, we linked up and we made uh, the the final demo for Wait For Me. And that yeah. was just one of, you know, 10 records. And that's the thing is that
0: um, that moment, and I know you touched on it briefly about what your relationship is um, with Goody and how much that record meant to you. But for me being that, I used to have a segment on that same radio station, Streets 104.7, called 204 Tuesdays. And I remember Goody coming in with white Oakley sunglasses, a long t-shirt, and he was a rapper. And to see it come around full circle where you and I started off on streets, he came in as a a fresh artist at 15 years old trying to get his music played. And to be in Los Angeles, I get to see um, one of the the first um, comedians that I came up with tape her special after having just gotten married and having her first child, then going into the studio with you and hearing this record that was obviously the most monumental thing that I personally ever witnessed come out of, of Winnipeg, especially from my generation. Um, and to see it coming full circle with you and Goody on that on that record together, it was a, a very great moment um, of this, like a full circle, right? Of just having that unity and seeing so much come out of Manitoba all at once, it was something
1: special. Look, I'll I'll, I've told you this off mic and I'm going to be super honest about the whole situation. At the end of the day, my goal with this single with way for me and you know it it performed and people loved it and it's it's been on on charts all over apple and it's hit charts on spotify and i'm very proud of what the record's done for for a lot of people my goal for that record being the first record off the project was for people back home to look at two manitoban artists with a grammy nominated platinum selling artist and be like damn these two manitobans left and they ended up reconnecting and doing something fucking legendary. And of course, it disappoint, disappoints me at that and the narrative is probably not that right now. The narrative is about something that's out of my control. That disappoints me only because two Manitobans linked up and, and tried to do something legendary. And maybe as time goes on and maybe when that record breathes five years down the line, or maybe when him and I reconnect and make more hits because we're going to make hits till we're 50 together because that's my brother. Maybe the narrative will go back to damn these two Manitobans came together and did some fucking legendary shit um, versus I think the 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 storyline that's been in a lot of gossip media
0: for sure and I feel like um, we could honestly just talk forever but I I really want to try to keep this as as um, concise as possible so in the same vein of um, Manitoba music and you know artists coming out of the city. I've been noticing, and I made a, a, a po- I did a podcast um, probably two months ago where I highlighted some of the artists that had come out of the city that I felt that were either had already crossed over or had a strong potential of eventually crossing over themselves as well. Um, so I just put out a post and you know a question, and unfortunately on my homepage I didn't have Raya, so my my question wasn't as lit as yours. But um, there was uh, you know um, a, a huge outpour of a lot of people that they have a very specific affiliation to Winnipeg music and the music scene. So I just kind of put out a survey and just had people submit who they thought were um, reflections of their city. So I'm going to kind of rapid fire some of these names okay. and you just let me know um, maybe the first word that comes to mind, maybe a sentence or a sentiment or an experience that you've had with this, these people. And I've had to abbreviate this list because I did get a lot of submissions that were kind of all over the place. So I figured I would just grab some that, you know, either you would have something to say or, you know, um, that were worth mentioning. So the first one, and this one is a little bit, um, I don't know if you have heard of these people, uh, you may or may not have, but this one is a little bit of a cheap one just for me because um, one, the producer made um, my intro song. And of course, um, the the artist that he collaborates with has shared the same birthday as me and whatever, but Nemes and Kachinga. I'm, I'm not familiar, but if if you say so, I'll check them out. Well, I'm going to put you on to them. <laughs> All right. Um, now, the next one, I feel like you got to know about this one right here. Burton
1: Cummings. <laughs> Come on, legend. Legend. YSN Fab. You know, yeah, I'm going to need like a couple sentences per. Um, YSN Fab, raw talent, unfiltered. I think he's going to have an incredible 2021. You press play and you just see emotion. Raw talent. There's nothing filtered. Nothing's polished. And that's the way people love it. And YSN Fab is going to have a crazy 2021. I'm very excited to see where that goes. Goody Grace. Legend. My brother for life. We're going to do records. Still, we're 50. Fosia super talent very bright amazing energy i just spoke to her a couple days ago hopefully we get one that's special as well but she's just a bright happy super talent i'm incredibly proud of her my boy rainy rainy producer uh he's worked with roy woods a lot from winnipeg he came out here rainy's just like good vibes if you've ever been in the studio, Rainy, he's just, he'll make you laugh. He'll make you smile. If everyone's a little tense about a record, Rainy's going to make everything a lot better. So shout out to Rainy, man. I'm glad that came up. I'm still waiting for Rainy's beat pack. I need to get <laughs> on these tracks over here. Um, another uh, legend, if you will, Young Kid. Young Kid. I remember being 16 years old, bussing down from Transcona um, to Young Kid's studio on Main Street. And I remember giving him $20 for his album and sign he signed it for me and like that you want to talk about like how much i've been loving music man 16 years old i'm busting down paying for an autograph from young kid he's always kept it 100 with me he's a legend someone that's very important and positive to young people uh man i love yk and i hope he's doing really well cool um lavish very talented songwriter. I have a session with him coming up in a couple of days. Um, the thing about Lavish is he's very versatile. Uh, if you've heard maybe some of his demos or some of the stuff that's out, he could rap his ass off, but guess Like He could write a pop song. That is incredible. So Lavish, super talent, incredible songwriter, very versatile. And I'm, I'm excited to see his growth. I think he's dope. Uh, King Mooks. I know Mooks. I follow Mooks on Twitter. Funny guy good vibes i remember seeing him at the club back in the day um just a really good dude i guess he's he's making music now and i'm gonna definitely check it out but mooks is just a funny guy man i'm gonna have to reach out to him and catch up Miyazwe. um i'm not super familiar with uh, i'm not, not really familiar with who that is fair enough uh and neil young come on legend come
0: on that's a classic one for sure. Um, so now before we let you go, I really want to get a little bit more background from this record that just dropped called From the Start. What does this record mean to you?
1: What was the the thought process behind this uh, the, the creation of From the Start? So one of my goals for the entire album, I love pop music. I love high energy music. I obviously love dance music as a DJ. I wanted to create relatively bright records with very real stories and i was in the studio with veronica and the first line that came up in a writing session was we have to learn how to love ourselves before we could love each other first first line first lyric on the out on the single and i'm sitting there i'm like yo this is the record this is the record um i mean i've written about a hundred breakup songs I feel like every artist has written a hundred breakup songs where you're blaming this person in some other way. And even just real life, take music out of it. Look back on your past relationships. A lot of the time we make up stories about why that person was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this person did this. She did this. Why would she do this? It's her fault we broke up. From the start is saying, hey, maybe we're doomed from the start because of me, Maybe I could take responsibility for this heartbreak. Maybe I need to be okay with myself before this relationship ever succeeds. So it's, it's a different take on a, a breakup record It is taking responsibility for heartbreak. And uh, yeah, I, I hope people could relate to that in some way. I feel like it takes a little bit of maturity to blame yourself for a breakup, but that's the moral of that story. Well, of course, because my favorite album of
0: all times, and I'm sure it's high up on your list as well is my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. And there's my a record... favorite album of all time. Well, there you go. So there's a record on there called blame game, which I feel like is the the common thread where, you know, of course, people are always trying to point the finger at their ex significant other as to the reasons why things didn't work out. But yeah, it does take a lot of growth and maturity to be able to, you know, have the mirror face you and, and say, listen, I am at fault for a lot of the things that, that have come hey, out. man, here.
1: That is scary you're in, you're in a room by yourself. You're looking in a mirror. Hey, was I to blame? For this relationship should I stop pointing the finger it takes time it takes maturity but that's what we wrote the song about and it's definitely about a relationship in my life um I'm just thinking right now how you were the first person to make me talk about dating apps and I'm, I'm like not sure if I want to keep that in right now but let's go
0: listen baby we ain't cutting shit out here this is the tall Dark, and ratchet podcast now I would be remiss if I didn't at least try to shoot a shot here and ask if we can get any more insight on this album because like I said I was privy to having to uh had the privilege of listening in on on some of the earlier inception of this album is there anything that you haven't disseminated out to
1: the public that we can slowly kind of you know maybe leak out maybe put a little couple easter eggs into the universe i mean the album's called welcome home uh it's gonna come out next year when the time is right there's gonna be 10 songs roughly and what i can say i'm not gonna give up any of the features i'm really excited about but out of the records we have right now i mean there's three grammy nominated one grammy winning and literally like legends on this album and really strong records um and we're gonna put them out single by single and then when the album comes hopefully you feel it listen if it
0: ain't Takis, it must be <laughs> Takis. i i thank you very much for your time um if the people are looking to um to find you and they, they haven't already followed you on all the,
1: the platforms or know where to find your music, where can people find um, Takis? Yeah, I mean, all you search is Takis on any D- DSP, Spotify, Apple, you're gonna find all the music, socials, it's Peter Takis, but I mean, it's not that hard to find. Well, if hopefully they don't (laughs) stumble across the chips,
0: but with that being said, um, this has been a long time coming. I'm very happy that you took the time to come out and, um, join me on my little platform over here. But, um, yeah, we look forward to the album. Welcome home. And of course, make sure you guys go stream the new record from the start featuring Veronica. This has been yet another episode of the tall, dark and ratchet podcast. Make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you like you subscribe, you follow. And of course, same thing with the guy tax over here. You find him on his socials, but thank you very much. Um,